Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, welcome to the Halftime Report. Thank you, Carl. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour with the worst week for stocks in a month, more than a month, says about the state of the market now. A huge week of earnings is looming large. We're going to discuss and debate all of it with the investment committee. Joining me right here, Post 9, Jason Snipe, Jenny Harrington, and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. We have been in the red for much of the morning. Some good economic data today after some bad economic data. Yesterday, you have an uh, expiration day. Uh, Weiss, I feel like the market doesn't really know what it wants to do. You know, one day the data is bad. The next day the data is good. You got a Fed meeting in a couple weeks. You've got big cap tech leading the charge next week. I mean, there's a lot to deal with. And then you have, the, as I said, the expiration coming today, too, which could be interesting into the close. Yeah, you know, it is interesting as the number hit the tape today. And uh, I said, well, it's stronger than was anticipated. Is this going to be good for the market or bad for the market? And you just don't know. And that's often the case, you know, in, in times like this is that, OK, is it going to be interpreted that the market, that the economy is resilient and that's going to push the Fed to do more? Or is it that it's resilient, it doesn't matter what the Fed's going to do, that there's segments going to work? I still am in the camp that inflation has hit that stubborn area where gains in terms of going lower are very, very tough to come by and that the Fed's going to have to keep going. We see the strength in corporate earnings, but it's also interesting that in the corporate earnings, some companies that are beating and even raising are getting hit. So people looking to take profits. I still believe that we're in a bear market and it's going to go lower. Jason Stipe, how do you see it? Um, Jenny, you know, sent around something or tweeted it yesterday about you know, and being emblematic of all of the cross currents that the market is trying to deal with today is, is so relative to that. You know, you, you, you don't know what to make of the data. Is it good? Is it bad? Is the Fed one more and done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think to, to Steve's point, the bias is downward. Right. There's, absolutely. I think that's the case. We started off with banking earnings, which were solid, and we're now getting into the other parts of the market, which we'll really get to see what's really going on. Um, you know, the beat rate has been around 72 percent, which is roughly in line with what the historical average has been. So I think with the Fed still looming large, we'll, they'll make a move in May. I think now is the question is, will there be another hike and how long it will, will they stay at these levels and what's what the terminal rate will be? Will it be five percent, five and a quarter, five and a half? We'll see. What happens if, if uh, May is it? What happens? Does your view of the market change? I think if, I think if May is it, I think that's a positive. I think I think I think likely they'll still stay high for, for s- some months. Um, but but I think that'll be a positive to really put in, put into put into focus that hey, look, we have seen some of the data. The data, there, there's been lingering lag, lag effects. We're seeing job data. We're seeing all these things. That, that, um, and we've seen, obviously, some, mac, some other macro data that's been negative, Philly Fed and all that. So I think that would be positive for the market. You know, Jenny, Bank of America, their flow show today says you should still fade 4,200 
on the S&P. They say, quote unquote, sell the last rate hike. Higher unemployment equal, equals higher credit spreads. And I do wonder if that last hike is a sell the news event rather than something to rejoice over. And, and that's going to be really interesting to watch on, on May 3rd and, and, and thereafter. Well, and I wonder too, you know, like if the market sustains at this level, right, or goes higher, then maybe it is, maybe it is the time. But if we anticipate negativity and anticipate, because every, this is, everyone just, all they do is try to get ahead of everything. So if ahead of you know, the May rate hike, people sell off and the market were to trade down a lot, then I think that that game changes. So we need to, we need to stay flexible. But I'm with you, Scott, completely on this. It just doesn't feel great. It's almost impossible for me to make an argument for the market to go higher than 4,200 or 4,300. I'll stand by all day long that it's a stock picker's market and I can always find individual things that I'm enthusiastic about within that. But I can't put together any picture where even if we get to $240 earnings, you put an 18 times multiple on it, like I can't get to anything better than that. So yeah, if we end up around 4,100, 4,200 and the Fed hikes by 25 basis points in May, like what else are you gonna do? Well, you wonder where earnings are going to go. Weiss, Barclays, how low can estimates go? Forward estimates are due for a reality check, they say. Markets are pricing in a near perfect landing, according to UBS. They doubt that's going to work out so perfectly. UBS, uh, Wells Fargo, we see a rough mid-2023 for equities. I mean, so you still have this no-man's-land market. I traded, you yeah. know, text with, with somebody we all know. It was like, it's, it's hard to make money in this market. It's hard to be long, it's hard to be short. 100%. You don't really know what side of the boat to go sit on. Yeah. yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And so there's a great alternative. And those, for me, that's the two year. And it was a six month, but those are getting, you know, called away, so to speak, they're mature. Uh, so if I can pick up foreign change, if I can pick up 5% in some other instruments, I'm happy to wait there. Look. I, Estimates are going to come down, and even if the Fed, to your question you asked before, even and your point you made, is to sell the news on the May 3rd meeting, the hike, yeah, I think it is, if the market goes up, because again, the Fed tightening cycle is just starting to hit. We're seeing that now. First real indication, the mismatch that SVB had, but that's not a broad indication, right? The economy, what companies are talking about, guidance, and you can't just focus to, to Jason's point on what the report was and that we're sort of in line few basis points below what average beats are because of the intra-reporting periods where they've cut estimates and cut guidance. So it's not an accurate portrayal. So I continue to be negative. I continue to believe the economy's not in a tailspin, but it's going to go lower. That's what the Fed wants it to do. And look, you can't talk out of two sides of your mouth, and a lot of people do, which is, yeah, go with the Fed when they're easing. Go with them. Go with them. Believe the Fed and say, oh, I don't believe the impact in the economy when they're tightening. Of course you have to believe it. The Fed wants the economy to slowly want inflation to come down. That's what's going to happen. Hey, hold your thought real quick, Jenny. I know you want to get in, but Dom Chu has a market flash for us regarding, I think, Lyft. What do we know here, Dom? That's right, Judge. What we have right now, as you can see in the charts on the right-hand side of your screen as we pull it up here, Lyft shares have spiked to session highs up about 4.5% right now on a pickup in trading volume. And the reason why is because of a Wall Street Journal story uh, saying that Lyft is going to cut at least another 1,200 jobs in a new round of layoffs in an effort to reduce costs. That could impact around 30% or more of the company's 4,000 employees. 
And this latest round of job cuts, again, coming on the heels of job cuts that already happened late last year to shut around 700 people. This latest move is seemingly being embraced by Wall Street as a way to show that Lyft has cost discipline. And remember, all of this is in the context of a new CEO, David Risher, Kemp coming in, who's taken over from the co-founders of the company. He started day one. His first official day, Scott Gang, was just this past Monday. So that's the reason why Lyft is on the move. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, I appreciate that very much, uh, Dom. Thank you. I mean, Jenny, you obviously have Uber. Um, we came into the show with, with Carl talking about, um, you know, what's been going on in, in mega cap tech in terms of the right-sizing those businesses, more layoffs. This is not just emblematic of the times we're in. It's not just emblematic of a new CEO. It is very much representative of the distance that your Uber has driven away from Lyft in the last 12 months. Right, and it's exactly when I say, even if I think the market doesn't have much, you know, much upside from here, even if I think we could trade down from here, you can always find something significantly positive to invest in. And I think that's it. Do I want to invest in Lyft? No. Do I want to invest in Uber? Yes. Two years ago, you wanted to own them both. But that game's completely changed. So now, and I think we're going to see this play out in the banks too, management, management, management. is uh, The good management teams are going to be totally differentiated because there's no just coasting along with a rising tide. That game is so over. Weiss, I mean, you, you were even, you know, talking pretty positively about Uber last week when, we, when this conversation came up. Yeah, if, if I were going to put money to work in the market, Uber is definitely one that would be near the top of the list. But, you know, on a broader comment, can you think of a worse, a dumber investment strategy as soon as a company cuts numbers that you pop the stock? I get it for the first couple, but now that's sort of replacing yeah. buybacks and fundamental moves. Here, but, when you're cutting 30% of, a, of, a, of your entire company, that's not cutting fat. That's got to be cutting it to muscle. But no human made that decision. That decision was made by bots, right, who, who call for call for certain noise, right? And we know but that I mean, 85% what the stock, what, what is the stock But you know, a human went out and was like, oh, this is yeah, a great thing. Throw up a one-year chart, if you could as well, on, on Lyft. Um, I mean, the stock's come down so much, right? As it, it, it should, because they keep losing money. There's no definitive path to profitability. They've, uh, you know, even when, the, when your employees rise up, and say, we got to get rid of the founders. Down we 70% gotta get, in a year. Yeah, when they say we got to get rid of the founders, you know there's something that's really wrong there. And the question is, can they make it? Can they survive? So there's some great talent there. I know personally some senior members there, great talent, but, and they've stuck through it. They're believers, but you have to question. Uber's so, just so powerful. So let me ask you this. If we if then spin it back to Megacap, right, um, reporting next week, Everybody but Apple, basically. Apple doesn't report until, you know, after the Fed meeting. Right. Um, we're going to save the day, so to speak, next week with Microsoft and Alphabet and Amazon and, and Meta? I think it's a tough setup. Obviously, the, yeah. a lot of these names have run dramatically over the first quarter of the year. And I think for me, as it relates to megacap tech, um, you know, we, we've seen cloud deceleration, whether it be AWS, Azure, uh, Google Cloud, all these businesses have slowed. And I think the expectations are, are relatively muted. I don't, I don't think we expect amazing numbers here, but I do think um, they'll be relatively in line. And this is what's pushed the market. You know, these are the names that pushed the market thus far, so I'm, I'm relatively. All right, uh, chart of the day, by the way, for us today is, is Meta. Um, market cap above Tesla for the first time in 16 months. 550 billion versus 515, 520. 
$1.5 billion. Um, that's interesting in and of itself. You trimmed Meta right. again. Right. So we trimmed it three weeks ago. Um, on March 29th, and we saw, and we trimmed it again today. It's actually one of it's in our discipline growth strategy, and it's one of our lowest weighted holdings right now. It's at one and a half percent, which is really unusual for us. Usually our positions are three, three and a half percent, but this is where we kind of want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to, you know, we're sitting at the blackjack table, and we just want a couple of big hands with that huge move in the last six months. I mean, no one even wanted to touch it in November, so we're putting some of those chips in our pocket and being patient. And this is where. You know, like I kind of want to have the Weiss story in my portfolio, and I kind of want to have the Jim story in my portfolio. I think the edge I have as an investor is patience, mm -hmm. right? And so I can be really, really patient and wait out the long-term stories to play out. But this is where I'm trying to do it, you know, both things at once. I can't remember um, if it was this week or last week where that was the note, and I also can't remember which firm put it out. But the gist of it was the re-rating is over, right? Right. The stock's up 150 oh, percent since November. Yeah. Um, I mean, all the days seemingly run together. But the point being, the re-rating's done, right? right. The stock 100%. has appreciated so much on all of the news that yep. Wall Street had been embracing that I'm not surprised to hear you say that you trimmed it again. Right. And when they put that note out, they I think they had an equal weight or even still like a buy, but it was a, maybe it was 20% upside. And you said, do you still get in? I'm like, look, you've already missed 100 plus percent. But there could be more upside from here. I just think it's going to be a lot more modest. It was a few weeks ago that I said the rally in tech is over. When it was momentum trade. There's some things to grasp on, like with Meta, with Cutting Hedge. They're the first ones to really come out and say, we're going to get more efficient. And then you just saw NVIDIA, all the others, some rallied for good reasons. Yeah. But they rallied as a group. And I still believe that trade is over because of the multiple expansion that we've seen. Wow. You think it's yeah. over? By the I, way, I it, think, was, yeah. it was new stuff. I think yeah. it was over a few weeks ago. I definitely think because it's over now. Because you know what it was our, from? Produ our production team right on it. They, it's New Street. They're, oh, the, they're right. the firm. Right. You think the trade's over? I think so, I, I too. Think so you think too. so, too? You yeah. know why? Because I think the whole... If mega cap as, a, as tech as a whole, not just meta. I think that, yes, mega cap tech as a whole. Because what you saw is you hmm. saw the first... The first two months of the year, right, money started to move back into that mag eight, as Ed Yardeni calls them, the, the mega cap tech. And, um, and then SVB happened. And then you saw them, like, really, really outperform, and the market started to bifurcate. And my analogy here is, you know when you've been in a bad relationship and it ends, like, you might just rebound and go back to your, like, really lame previous boyfriend or girlfriend, but at least they were the safety trade and you know what you're getting back into. <laughs> all right, all right, like, all right, all right. Okay, okay. But I feel like that's kind of what happened with these, which is if you actually look at them on a standalone basis, they're not that compelling. They have really high multiples, much higher than the market. They have reasonable earnings growth rate, but it doesn't match up. So there was just that kind of like rebound safety play, like, oh my God, I'm so scared in the aftermath of SVE. Let's go back to what's taking care of me and make me feel really good in the past. There's a momentum trade, and there's the market seeing my there's really no better. safety there. <laughs> anymore because they can come down as well yeah. and that's what's happening but i don't you think saw, they're gonna you, know, it. you saw the semis move up as well and now we're hearing from semi companies but semis you know are what? different than these though right right i'm just talking about technology overall because i'm saying not just the mega cap trade in tech is over i'm saying the whole trade's over you saw micron report a really bad quarter bad guidance yet the stock moved up 10 percent those days are done now it's going to be back to reality like every other sector that's my view i don't think that meets your downside i'd be they missed. I can't remember the last time these companies missed two quarters in a you row. You want to take issue with any of this? I mean, you own Google, you own Amazon, you own Microsoft. I got a lot of exposure here. 
Yeah, and I think for me... The- and now you can own Weiss, too. Right. <laughs> you go ahead. Have Adam. Please. And do I us think, all a favor. Right. <laughs> I think the other major point, too, is is folks caught off, were caught off sides. I mean, the NASDAQ was down 34% last year. Yep. And I think that was a big, big play. And, and I think there was also this idea of a softest landing, you know, coming into this year. And I think that's why a lot of these stocks have moved a lot. But... I hate to agree with Weiss. I do think it, it will. You think this it, trade's over also? I don't think it's over, but it, it absolutely is due for a slowdown. I think that absolutely happens. Well, then the rally itself is doomed. Yep. You, I mean, you, you and I just kind of set it up, right? If, 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 these, if these stocks are taking up 26% of the S&P 500, right. and we can't make an argument for them to go much higher, either based on earnings growth, really you know, surprising us, or the share prices having significant upside, then yeah, I don't think there's much room left for a well, rally. Because what would you, you can still stay what's going to pick up the slack? What would pick up the slack? What are you going to buy? Are you going to go buy cyclical stocks? You can buy Maybe. 490 other companies, yeah, but, most of which are significant. But I know, but individual stock picking is not going to save the day. Okay, of the you rally. know what? You could, buy the, you could buy the RSP. Like maybe value comes. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Maybe small cap. Maybe there's opportunity there. Maybe you could look to international. There's other places that you could make money. Yeah, but I mean, if you're worried about, if if you think the the data is showing that in an economy that's slowing, are you going to go buy small caps? Are you going to go buy cyclical stocks? Are you going to buy? I think you, know, you want to buy what's well machinery value. stocks. What are you going to buy? I mean, if I look at what I what's on my watch list, I have some small. I have. You know, I still have Whirlpool on that. I've got Stanley Black & Decker. I've got Wendy's, right? If they get to the right prices, there's money to be made out there. I don't think, and again, it depends on your time frame. Um, but I think you could look to international, too, and buy some international indi- like, you know, indexes. Weiss, do you still own Alphabet? I do own some, yep. I own most of it. I sold a very little. It had one day where it just had a pop. You just said the trade's over. Why do you still own it? Well, because what if I'm wrong? You know, I mean, I've got some humility. <laughs> I mean, but Scott. you say it with uh, some. Really? I've got some humility. I mean, and, I don't and, know. I could. And I, I, I think my downside. I don't know about that. I think my downside in Alphabet is what could it be? Most 10 percent. There's 10 percent downside in any stock. You think you might be wrong? I mean, what could what? No, I don't you think, think so. you might be wrong. There goes that. No, humility. seriously. No, but no, I don't. I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think. I these, think these stocks are not clear. just up because they're perceived to be a safety trade. They're up because people believe that they came out of... They believe in their balance sheets. They believe in balance sheets. They believe in, believe the in their increased efficiency. The cash flow, the amount of heads. cash they have on their right. balance sheets. Right. So so it's safe from that standpoint. They're more efficient now than they were before. True. So I'd say that half the move was that, and the other half the move was, to Jason's point, FOMO, fear of missing out. And they're saying, I got to get on these. And so that's what you saw a lot of come in and buy it. And everybody said, you know what? I'm never going to have to explain to my investors owning Alphabet, owning Amazon, owning Microsoft. So I'm willing to pay up for it, not to have to have tough conversations from owning like a Micron or something like that. So, I mean, Amazon, J.P. Morgan continues to like it. Uh, Best idea, according to JPM. Evercore, underappreciated growth pillar on Microsoft. I mean, you owned Microsoft, what, not but two weeks ago. No, it was longer than that. I Three, wish it was just two weeks ago. Two and a half. I sold it a lot lower. Two and a half. Um, Sorry. And <laughs> two I, weeks in a day. Yeah, and, and I'll get I'm another sorry. chance at it, but, but Microsoft's not cheap anymore. It's just it not that cheap. And you've given was a, it cheap? And 1985? And you've given a lot to chat GBT <laughs> that you're paying for it when it's gonna, for years ahead versus just now. So and you're paying for them saying, 
Markets assume they'll have 50% share and, and Alphabet's going to go down by 50% share search. That's not happening. How many I do time, think they pick up search. How many times are we going to hear AI next week? Uh, yeah, What's the over-under? A thousand. What's the over-under? A thousand? A thousand. A thousand. <laughs> from, from just one player or everybody combined? <laughs> You're going to hear a thousand just on the Microsoft call alone. Well, you heard like what Alphabet did yesterday with this reshuffling to, yep. you know, more consolidate their their operations around that. I mean, you're going to have a battle royal yeah, because they're going all in, too. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, in the private market, I'm getting pitched so many AI companies to compete with those, uh, you know, with what's out there already. And so you just can't own one. You got to own them all. Well, I don't have to own any of them, frankly. I can wait to see who emerges the winner. And by the way, who's actually going to make money, right? <laughs> I've got to see a pathway to positive EBITDA, and I'm not so sure you can see it with these. And you need like 30 years to know that answer. So you also sold or you trimmed a little bit of uh, Palo Alto. Right. And this, Why'd you do that? The same thing there. We've had a lot of strength. We want to put some chips in our pocket. It's trying to have our cake and eating it too. We're still staying at a 1.5% position on it. Um, but we know they've had a big move, and we think that we're going to get some better chances. You, it really. You still own it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's up. For, it, I get it. It's a prudent investment strategy. It's up almost 40% year to date. But I, I like the fundamental tailwind. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I right. I don't I mean, think that. How do you come to grips with the valuation on I mean, you know, you on, on what basis? On a price to revenue, Sorry. a price to, <laughs> to earnings, you know, which they don't have. How do you come to grips on that? It's difficult. It's obviously expensive stock. And I think for me, it's all about the fundamental tailwinds that support the growth going forward. I mean, they had 80 plus percent EPS growth in the last quarter. Mm. I mean, this is a, this is a stock that's growing like a weed. Uh, it's expensive, but I think it's worth owning. But it, you have to look at it on a free cash flow basis. And frequently when I talk about it on here, you know, people right. say, oh, Jenny, you're so, you know, fundamentally based and you always look at multiples. How what do you own it? What are they the free cash flow? Sorry, what are they using it for? Let me ask you one more question before I've got some news I want to get to in a second. Um, I know you've been negative for a while, okay? The market's been pretty darn resilient in your face. Parts of it has, for sure. Parts of it has. But even when it, like like even right now, okay, Dow's down 13 points. Dips have been bought. The question is, when does that run out? When does that run out? There are still those who are not ready to sell the story that the soft landing is a, a fallacy, a pipe dream, that if you see how the data is holding up in certain pockets, yep. you can still wrap your arms around that it, idea. Some look, can. candidly, I, I think about it every day. It's not easy to be bearish. You know, is a propensity. I've got a propensity to be optimistic. You can't be in this business if you don't have optimism. You right? do? I do, I do. Maybe not in terms of your future, okay. but overall, right. in terms of the market, right. I do. And Mr. Positive now. And markets go up 80, you know, more than that. Now they're going up 90% of the time. So you think about it, and I just think on a risk-reward basis, my downside is much greater than my upside, and I'm willing to miss the upside broadly. To do it. I'm so, going to order you one of those shirts with like the, the yellow, the happy face, the smile. Yeah. I'm going to order you one of those. You're Mr. Happy. Yeah. Uh, size medium, extra large extra in the arms. Small. But that size extra, extra small in the waist, extra, extra large in the arms. But Thank you. Downside, just to be clear, size. No, you know what, Jenny? I'm sorry. Okay, i got to go. But we do have that breaking news out of the Treasury Department. Let's go to Steve Leisman. Steve. Thanks very much, uh, Scott. The Financial Stability Oversight Committee 
just voted to approve a new framework for financial regulations. Two parts of this. On the one hand, they're going to make more clear how they identify risk, how they assess it, and how they would act to mitigate it. That addresses some criticism that's come from folks on the GOP about the FSOC process being a bit of a black hole or not being transparent. Uh, they will focus on certain activities like markets, individual entities. And that's where the second proposal comes in, Scott. What they've done is they've made it easier for non-bank financial companies to be designated for supervision ostensibly by the Federal Reserve, though perhaps some other entity. Uh, Yellen said, Chair uh, Secretary Janet Yellen said during uh, in opening remarks to the FSOC meeting that under the current guidance, which was uh, put together under the Trump administration in 2019, uh, it would take up to six years to designate a non-bank uh, uh, company as, for supervision. And she said that's just way too long. It's inappropriately uh, burdensome to do so. So what they've done is they put out for a proposal now for a 60-day comment period this idea that any company could be designated uh, who's deemed to be have some financial or systemic risk here. It could be a hedge fund, could be an insurance company. Remember, there were four companies that had been designated under this Dodd-Frank authority. Could be money markets. It could be a big, uh, uh, a big mutual fund company, anything like that. And unclear, Scott. So we're now living in this world where uh, after 60 days, assuming this is then adopted, these companies could come under greater supervision and be regulated. Some of these companies, more like banks, they will have the ability to kind of argue their side of why they shouldn't be uh, um, designated. But it's an interesting development that might bear on watching for some of these non-bank, uh, big non-bank companies. All right. We'll watch it for sure. I appreciate that breaking news, Steve Leisman. Thank you. Coming up, our call of the day, the one transport stock soaring on a pair of upgrades. We've got ownership on the desk. We'll talk about it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Let's talk shares of XPO. They are surging today on a pair of bullish notes, both Citi and J.P. Morgan upgrading that stock. The company did name a new chief operating officer. We made it our call of the day. Jenny, you own XPO. 
Oh. Right. So this is really interesting. When I saw this stock up so much yesterday morning, this is another one from our growth strategy. My immediate was like, oh, they reported earnings. No, they brought on this new COO. And what's interesting there is an, uh, um, they had a new board member in March who was a former CFO of Old Dominion. The new COO also came from Old Dominion. And so it kind of says, hmm, what's going on here? If you look at the valuation difference between Old Dominion and XPO, you got you got 18 times EV to EBITDA for, for Old Dominion, seven times for XPO. So then you get a couple of analyst upgrades, and I think what this really is is a re-rating story going on. Also, it's kind of interesting because I know there was that J.B. Hunt conversation. Yeah, where the, where the president earlier this week said, we're in a challenging freight environment, simply stated we're in a freight recession. Right, and I think that's true. But with the stock, with XPO still 21% off its um, off its highs. Wait, I think I said that wrong. I think it's more than that. It's like 30% off its highs from 2021. It's already accounted for. And that gets into why this market's hard to invest in. Because you can have a negative overall economic environment, but you can have companies within it that have already moved and set you up for a really nice investment. So I think that's what's happening here. There's recognition that there's a lot of value in this stock. The city today goes to buy from neutral, target to 50. JP Morgan goes to overweight from neutral, target to 52. Weiss, you used to own this and you used to talk about it a lot. I did, and it was the value that was there. So they spun out GXO, they spun out RXO. So now well, you, own a, G, you own GXO. I still own GXO. Why I, don't you own XPO? I don't own XPO because of the freight uh, you know, environment. Yeah, but you and haven't owned XPO for a while, though. It's I, not just, I have it. I have it. It did not just happen today or when since the JV. No, I haven't owned XPO for about nine months, so six to nine months. Well, freight wasn't bad right. nine months ago. But, keep, but I've been bearish for nine months or so. So, uh, so GXO has locked in contracts and the outsourcing market is only 6%, you know, the e-commerce the e market is only 6% outsourced. So you've got tremendous upside, you've got fixed contracts with inflation kickers in it and a blue chip customer clientele. So that's how I prefer to pay, play it. They also benefit when freight prices come down, by the way. So, so that's why I play it. XPO is cheap, it's always cheap, it's never always this cheap. So I do look at it, it's one that has been in my buy list because I think management but is if, very good. If you're negative though, you can own GXO but you don't, but, but you can't own XPO? GXO, the variability in GXO, even in a deep recession, is very limited because they have these contracts. I'm, I'm gonna give you a trick question coming up. I, I, one, of these, one of these ones is gonna be a trick question. I'm gonna stump you. I know. Well, uh, I know. I, I'm, gonna take, I'm gonna take the under and you stump My point me. is like, when you said, well, I've been negative, that's why I don't own it for the whole time, but now you own GXO, you don't own XPO. GXO, it's a, just a completely different model. It, this is true. Their I mean, customer is Apple, their customer is Nike. You buy a pair of Nike sneakers, you know where it's coming from? It's coming from GXO. You return them, you know where it's going? It's going to GXO. You're building an Intel fab. You know who's building the warehouse next to you? GXO. So the growth there in outsourcing is tremendous. It's just hit it. And they are the largest independent in the world. Why don't you own XPR? You mean RXO? RXO. That, that was a oh. trick question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that, was, that was a trick question. I wanted to see if he actually was going to say, I do. Yeah. I do own that. I don't. Sorry, I ruined it. All right. All right, up next, Weiss is making some big moves in healthcare. We break down his latest buys next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? 
At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Seema Modi, and here's your news update at this hour. Chile is planning to nationalize its lithium industry in order to boost its economy. The country is the world's second largest producer of the metal and also has the largest lithium reserves in the world. The surprise move would transfer control of Chile's vast operations from multiple private companies to a separate state-owned business. The Supreme Court is facing a self-imposed Friday night deadline to decide whether women's access to a widely used abortion pill will stay unchanged changed or be restricted. The Supreme Court had initially said it would decide by Wednesday whether the restrictions could take effect while the case continues, but a one-sentence order signed by Justice Alito gave this gave the justices two additional days. And the NFL is indefinitely suspending three players for violating the league's gambling policy. Two other players are each suspended six games. The policy prohibits anyone in the NFL from engaging in gambling in any league, venue, or practice facility. A league review uncovered no evidence indicating inside information was used or that any game was compromised. And that's the latest. Scott, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you. That's Seema Modi. All right, let's talk health care. Cantor Fitzgerald getting more bullish on that space. They initiate CVS, United Health and Humana with overweight ratings. All right, Jason Snipe, you do have CVS. You do have United Health. Tell me what you think. They go on CVS overweight, $87 is the price target there. United Health overweight, $591 is the price target there. So for me, healthcare has been interesting. CVS has been a problem child all year. It's down 22% uh, year to date. And I do think it's bottoming at this stage. I think it's the market still trying to figure out this acquisition of Oak Street and signifying how that will be accretive to the balance sheet going forward. And I think they're working through that. Um, as it relates to United Health, I mean, I really like United Health. I think it's a compounder, you know, as it relates to the healthcare space. I think unemployment with labor being at continue to be at three and a half percent. I think that is a catalyst for these types of stocks. Medicare has been strong. Also, Optum has been strong. So I like these two names. Okay, uh, Weiss, you actually bought more United Health. I did. I bought more yesterday. How, how bright was that? Taking a look at it today. And I also initiated a, a small position, more of a trading position in Humana. Can we put the chart up and leave it there for the rest of the show? You can leave it there for the rest of the year because <laughs> I'm going to be right. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up for my friend Jason, who we just criticized one of his holdings, United Health. <laughs> so, look, I, I think they are perennial compounds, particularly United Health. The concerns are on the medical loss ratio, the MLR. I think they'll get over those concerns. Management is just almost flawless in reporting quarters and guiding. They know their business. Now, if you cut a lot of jobs, if unemployment goes to 10%, which it's not going to, then potentially you have a problem. But I don't think that's the base case. The base case is to continue to grow. We've got CMS out of the way. I'm very comfortable owning it, which is why I added to it. Now, you bought a new stock, uh, Humana, which, as I said, is part of that call. Initiated overweight, $597 is the price target there. We view the stock as undervalued, given that we see multiple levers of upside to management's guidance. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's in the same category. So there's been really a lack of... of uh, 
it, it should, they've just gone after the whole managed care group. And they said, look, you've got procedures that are picking up. That means their MLR is going to increase. And that's not a good thing. Look, I, you know, the stocks were on their way to being up today. I think they'll resume that trend. I still believe that profitable health care is a good place to be this year. It's very descense, defensive and recession resistant. Healthcare hasn't really worked, as you know, Jenny, this year. You own Pfizer, Bristol-Myers, Medtronic, Regeneron, Thermo Fisher, Zimmer. Yeah. So. So we own different names than what we just discussed. But the interesting thing about healthcare is you look at each company and the dynamics are really, really different. Overall, if we were to look at it as an industry, what you see is something that's trading at a market multiple about 17 and a half times. And the growth is kind of meh. But to Weiss's point, you don't need to worry about the economy. So as you're saying, I own this, I own this. And Weiss saying, like, look, I don't like the economic setup. I'm like, OK, if you don't like the economic setup, this is a decent place to be. And then you can pick through. And for example, we own Bristol Myers that trades at under nine times earnings. But they have a ton of free cash flow and they're buying back stock. We own Regeneron that trades at 19 times earnings, but they have a huge pipeline. So it's a space where you can pick through and find some golden nuggets, but collectively, it's kind of meh. All right, still ahead, a roundup of some more of today's big earnings movers. We'll have those trades coming up next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag GradeMyTrade. We're going to hit some earnings movers now. I'm looking at Freeport, uh, Jenny, down 6%. EPS beat, revenues beat, profits lower by 51%. Revenues lower by 18.5%. Levered, obviously, to copper. What's the take here? <laughs> it is copper. So it's interesting. In the past six months, the stock is up 41%, where copper is up 18%. So even though they had really good really good earnings, I think the share price just got a bit ahead of itself. That being said, this is something that's going to sit in our growth portfolio forever, I think. If you read Goldman's research, they think that copper is at all-time lows in terms of inventory. You've got almost no new supplies coming on, on after 2023. And we know that as we continue to electrify, it's like copper's at the heart of that. I never remember this exactly, but it's something like 35 pounds of copper are needed for each new EV, and it's two pounds or four pounds for an existing car. That alone, and think of how that plays out, there's such unbelievable demand for copper in the next 20 years of our lives that I think this is just a long, long, long-term holding for us. Weiss, you're actually looking at FCF? I am. FCX. I've been looking at it. I can't figure out why copper prices are not higher um, because of everything that Jenny says. So. With EVs, every you know, all these auto companies saying we're going to be 100% EV. Uh, there's scarcity of copper, lithium, despite nickel, et demand concerns in the economy itself. Yeah, because this exactly because if you just even if auto production is lower, it's not going to be lower for EVs. It's going to keep growing even in slowing economy. So I just don't know why it is where it is. Um, so that's what I've got to try and figure out. Maybe too soon, but ultimately I think Jenny, this is going to be a monster stock. That's where we're always fighting the time frames, right? If you're right and the, and the market goes down, you know, okay, that's a short-term thing. If I'm right and I want to own Freeport, that's a 10-year call. So we can kind of both win this game. It's just the time frames are always battling themselves. Okay. Uh, what about P&G? Uh, for you, yeah. stock's up near 4% right now. Uh, they beat, they raise their forecast as well. 
Yeah, really nice print, Scott. Uh, beat on the top and the bottom and raise the guide. So for me, you know, I, I think this is really a, a emblematic of P&G has pricing power. I think that's showed in the, in the print. You know, they raise their organic sales growth to around 6%. I mean, that was on the higher end of the guide, which is nice. 55% of their business is done overseas. The dollar is pulling back. So I think that also has been a catalyst to the stock here. What about Staples, Jenny? The only staple I own is B&G Foods, um, and it's actually had a good year. It's, it's interesting because they, they passed costs on to the consumer last year. They're benefiting from that. And you've got this funky kind of picture now where I wonder, okay, are, are we going to be able to sustain those prices? Yep. I'm up 40% almost in B&G this year, mm. but I'm down 40% over the past 52 weeks. Right. So it's a really challenging time, and I think it's really... What I'm curious to see on earnings next week is how they start to play out and what we really see from mm -hmm. the consumer because the divergence and who's reporting next week, whether it's Hilton or Whirlpool or McDonald's, we're going to get right. so much insight into what the consumer really looks like. There are no other good handle. yield plays in, in, within Staples but B&G Foods. I mean, there's also Kraft Heinz. And for me, that's always been a management issue. They have 3G backing them, and they've really cut that company to the, like, they've cut all the muscle out. They cut it to the bone. And so I had a hard time getting in on that. There are yield plays, but they're not juicy enough for me because I've got this, like, 5% yield hurdle on our equity income strategy. Mm -hmm. So I really need... B&G is like a tiny bit below that, I think. It's about 4.7 right now. And it was higher, but they did cut that dividend. Um, it was the first time they'd cut it in okay. almost ever. All right, Santoli's next uh, with his midday word. We're back on the half right after this. All right, we're back. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, is here for his midday word. What's on your mind? I mean, I think the big question, you know, flat day, flat week, flat month in the S&P 500 is, is the market underreacting to the new inputs on the macro that we've gotten, or is it just a familiar set of challenges um, at familiar prices? I mean, because we have been yeah. here uh, for some time. I, I think it's more the latter. Uh, I don't think it's about the market trying to be complacent or ignoring things. And the PMI numbers today you know, consistent with something like 2% GDP growth, it raises this muddle through type scenario that, remember, it used to be pretty popular to talk about that 10 years ago when the economy was like sluggish, but yeah. yet still not shrinking. And maybe that's one of the options that we have in the market is at least having to entertain the idea that it's not approaching a cliff to recession and also not necessarily reaccelerating in an exciting way. Big question to me is can the earnings uh, reset continue to be orderly and shallow or not. A muddled landing, that's going to be the new one. Yeah, forget, forget I mean, all the other. Buckle up, right? Forget all yeah. the other terms. <laughs> uh, you allude to earnings. Obviously, next week's going to be a huge week. All of the big yeah. mega caps other than Apple. Sure. Um, so a huge share of the overall net income of the S&P comes, uh, comes through. Sometimes you do have this effect where a Microsoft or somebody or an Alphabet will come through and, and it'll be like reminding everybody how great these businesses are, and that's a, a fresh excuse to buy them. I don't know if we're in for that because the stocks have not really been that weak going into it, but um, maybe some clarity about what the real multiple is here on the overall market uh, and whether, in fact, you've know, seen small caps underperform, you've seen cyclicals mm -hmm. uh, lag a bit. And, and so I think the big question is, is that just going to be the way it is, or can we have you know, another re-rotation back in that direction? Stability in the banks is good. It's a prerequisite for the market holding together. It's not really 
giving you high conviction, though, uh, that there are good things to come there. And then six months after the low, the banks have done nothing. Now, I'll tell you what, these mega caps, it's not like they've ripped into the number, right? No, they, they had way. a nice move and then kind of stalled no, out been a little bit. They've been digesting for weeks now. Yeah. In fact, it really was just a few weeks after the SVB went down that those uh, stocks did ramp. So, you know, we'll see if, uh, if there's dry powder. All right, there. I'll see you on closing bell. Yeah. A couple hours. That's Mike Santoli. Grade My Trade is coming up next. My trade, Jason Snipe, you're up first. From Lucy, bought 66 shares of Walmart and bought 20 shares of Costco. What do you think? So I like this move here. I mean, if, if this is a complete exchange, I think I like it. I mean, there's there's been some margin pressure on, on, on Costco here. I, I really like the annuity business. I think they're, they're for the big ticket diamonds, is a challenge with, with some of the margin pressures. But I think inflation is starting to come down. I think Costco is a nice accumulator here. All right, Jenny, from Harrison. Uh, I own 155 shares of Kohl's, $25.77, bought it for the dividend growth. Uh, however, being down almost 16% isn't feeling so great. Do I add here or do I sell? So I don't really care that you own 155 shares. What I care about is what percent of your overall portfolio that would be. I initially bought this at 30. I added at 24, so you're doing better than I am, so you get a better grade than I do. I, get, I give myself a D. But... This is a company that's overly discounted how horrible the consumer is going to be, still standing behind their 8.7% dividend yield. I've got it at a 2.5% position in my portfolio. That's probably the right amount. So figure out what the right percent is for you and go with that. All right. Uh, Weiss from Howard. One stock you seldom, if ever mentioned on halftime, is Academy Sports and Outdoors. I purchased a small amount at $39. It's now at 67 Should I buy more? Great trade. You know, the stock's actually pretty cheap here. When you take a look at what happened with Dick's Sporting Goods, which has missed a few quarters versus this is better execution in terms of quarterly reports, uh, the multiple's not quite half, but it's only about 60% of what Dick's is. So, so yeah, I, I think you buy more. Now, Sporting Goods holds up better in recession than typical broad retailers, so I think it's okay, but management's excellent, so I'd have no problem about that. All right, no we'll step away for a couple. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Lauren Goodwin, Avery Sheffield's going to be with me. Aswath Damodaran, the Dean of Valuation. We're going to talk about mega caps. Are they overvalued as they head into earnings next week? We'll get you all set up for that. Let's do final trades. Steve Weiss, what do you got? Look, I, I think, you know, go with the two-year at a 4.2 yield. Go with the six-month at, at over a five yield. And just wait out the rough stuff in the market. So you like the competition for stocks better than stocks? That is correct. Well put, Scott. Took you an hour to put it well, Thanks, but Steve. you got there. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Jenny. I think a way better place to hide out if you want a five and a quarter yield is IBM. They just reported, they execute well. That five and a quarter that you're gonna get is tax advantaged, and you have upside if you can be a little patient and wait for the economy to improve and the market to improve. It's been an interesting stock this year. 
in that it really hasn't done anything. Right. So you get that five and a quarter, put it in your pocket, get a better tax rate than on treasuries. All right. Jason Snipe, what do you got? Goldman Sachs was an ugly quarter. Uh, stock's only down 1%. Capital formation will come back at some point. I like it here. All right. Uh, good weekend, everybody. Thanks. Even you, Weiss. Thank Wish you. you the best. Oh, <laughs> All of you, too. I'll see you on Closing Bell. That does it for me. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.